So it was a 10 out of 10 season with a 2 out of 10 ending. Let's break it all down on Motorsport 101. It's that time of year again, you know, the, the snow's coming down, everybody's got the, the decorations out. Of course, the most important time of year for us all. It's season review time here on Motorsport 101. Welcome to episode 336. I'm your friendly neighbourhood host, Trey Harrison. And uh, this is our Formula 1 season review episode, where we talk about one of the most hectic, carnage-filled, ridiculous Formula 1 seasons we've ever known. And that was before the ending. <laughs> so it's, we're going to have a good old time breaking this all down. But let's go around the horn real quick with me. In what can only be described as the Dutch colored jacket. Um... Hey, hey, hey. These are the spirit Formula One racing colors. Purely coincidental, I'm sure. It's Cam Buckley. Hello, sir. How's it going? Hi, everyone. Um, I speak to you from... Well, a computer that doesn't suck. It's kind of amazing. Um, as a result, uh, I have no money, but uh, it's okay. I had it's just okay. enough spent in the bank to upgrade. get this. You spent all your tech upgrade tokens uh, on the new computer. Yep, yep. Um, now I got to wait until next year so I can uh, change the gearbox again. And uh, yeah. I just had had just enough. Uh, you know, I said that I said midseason that if Honda nailed the championship, which they did, I don't care how. I don't care how. A promise is a promise. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. I would indulge in some of that 1983 collection of vintage F1 gear. And I've got the jacket on right now, and it's... Mm. Ah! And see, I knew <laughs> that... And see, I knew that Cam was going to wear this Honda jacket at some point. So, not wanting to be upstaged, I, RJ O'Connell, uh, also went through my wardrobe and found a Honda jacket that, that I owned. I've worn this on this show a couple of times, I'm sure, but I, I just figured it would be good for the occasion. Uh, it's like, it's like, King, are you feeling like we're the old ones out right now? <laughs> no, no, I did my part. I wore orange last week. You were drinking yes, orange yeah. last week. <laughs> <laughs> he was trying to get us in trouble, says lead host in a actual Red Bull Japan shirt last week. But uh, thankfully, I think I got away with that one when I, when I put it out there on the Twitter account. Uh, thank God. Even though like, like King got more widespread approval because it was turtleneck season. Um, and I, 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 have, I have to applaud the uh, the, the turtleneck. Well, uh, that, that was as you know, a I mean... Touch. Turtleneck season goes hand in hand with cuffing season, so really, it's natural. <laughs> it is that time of year again, folks. <laughs> oh dear! Like, like, stay safe out there, kids. Uh, get vaccinated and beware of cuffing season. Uh, it's, it's a very important time of year, alongside all the other not so beware important of the DRS festivals. If you're going to have a house party with a lot of your friends and potential political benefactors, you know, just fess up to it. You, know, you don't have yeah. to lie to us repeatedly. Yeah, no, no, no. See, what, what we're doing here for the next hour or so, it is, is this is absolutely a work meeting. Um, I just want to say, you know, alongside the Doritos and and, 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 the, and the bottled drinks, uh, this is this is absolutely a work meeting. There is no possible way it could be anything else. 
Anyway, as we go through the next hour or so on this motorsport podcast, sorry, work meeting, work meeting, we will talk all about the 2021 Formula 1 season. We're going to go team by team like we usually do on this show. We'll break down the ups, the downs, the drivers, and everything else in between. But places you can find us real quick are on youtube.com forward slash motorsport101. If you're watching us on there, hey, say hi, like, subscribe, comment, all that good stuff. We are on Facebook.com forward slash Motorsport 101. We're on Twitter at Motorsport underscore 101. In fact, the follow our personal handles are on the screen right now if you're watching along. If not, they're at, at Harrison101HD, at RJ O'Connell, at Seabuckley917, and at Ryan Eric King. If you really, really like us, you can back us financially on Patreon as well. Patreon.com forward slash Motorsport 101. Five bucks gets you early access to all of our audio episodes. Ten bucks for the video version and the support club of our Discord server live as they're um, being recorded. All that details and more on our website as uh, RJ is beautifully showing off right now motorsport101.com including more written stuff from me uh, follow up to Abu Dhabi and by the time this goes out both parts of my top 10 drivers of the year as well um, thankfully no angry emails at the Ferrari driver I put in the 6th spot yet thankfully so all oh, so yeah, hopefully that will hold up all that and more on our website motorsport101.com check us out on there Right, after this, let's get into the Formula 1 season review and... Oh no, you got to talk about Haas first. Yay. All right, um, got- let's... I will... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start a timer here. I'm going to give myself uh, approximately... I'm going to give Haas <laughs> as much time as they deserve. So here we go, 120 <laughs> seconds. Uh, this was pretty much exactly what we thought it was going to be. Mick Schumacher comprehensively outperformed Nikita Mazepin. Uh, neither driver scored points. Um, Mazepin proved himself to be out of his depth at this level, but it doesn't matter since him and his family are bankrolling the team. Uh, Mick Schumacher would get my Rookie of the Year vote if such a Rookie of the Year award existed because he was the only driver that consi- rookie driver that consistently got the most out of his car, which was evil at times. And it's part of the reason why Mick Schumacher racked up the largest repair bill in Formula One uh, this season. I'll admit, I didn't think it was good. I, I knew it was going to be bad. I didn't think it would be this bad. But holy Moses, you certainly can't get any worse than it is this year. And maybe Haas will score points again next year. I don't know. I'm going to stop this at 60 seconds, and then we can talk about Alfa Romeo. We're marginally better. Good night, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, um, uh, I mean that. I mean, uh, just a quick follow up from what I just said. Like, I can't disagree with anything of what was said there. Pretty much, Mazepin is awful, but we all know why he's there. Mick was pretty goddamn good. I didn't even realize Haas only have two hundred and fifty people working for their team because we found out via Mick's tribute helmet at the final round that he, had, he put a star on there for every employee. It was two hundred and fifty-one, um, and he was pretty damn good. Um, but that car is a goddamn. Anchor, yeah. um, and we all kind of a, thought it was going to be, and it was. Ugly. It was a stopgap car that was literally just the 2020 car with this year's Ferrari power unit shoehorned in, and they took a sawzall to the sides of the floor. It was yeah, overweight. I, it was underpowered. It stank. Yep. Yeah, I hope Delara built a better car for them next year. <laughs> The bar they might just get away with using. They might just get away with using their new IndyCar chassis. That's uh, that yeah. was a deal that was announced today. <laughs> corner um, also, notice how all of the anti-culture, cancel culture idiots 
uh, we're not rushing to jump to Nikita Mazepin's defense the second we realize, yeah, this guy isn't actually that good in F1 car. Moving on. Yeah, that that's pretty much the long and the short of it as far as I'm concerned. Um, yeah, uh, Haas were as bad as we all thought they were going to be, and hopefully brighter times for Mick's sake down the future. Alfa Romeo. Uh, you, know, you look at Alfa Romeo. Kimi Raikkonen's final season, he was 16th overall. He had 10 points, had a couple of 8th places. One of them, like, two two races out of COVID, comes back in Sochi, puts in an 8th, and and no one cared. Because that race was just so carnageful at the end. It was like, did Raikkonen just go 8th? Like, what? Um, And, like, no one even noticed. Um, Kind of summed up Alfa Romeo's year, to be honest. Antonio Giovinazzi was in the other car, the 99. He was 18th overall, just 3 points. Uh, 9th was his best result of the year, only in the points twice for the season. A part of me feels bad for these guys because it's like they were in a tight fight with Williams for that eighth spot, and then Belgium happened. <laughs> it's just well, no, they weren't. Like, in a, what... They weren't a tight fight. I mean, it was they were the ones who could consistently get points. Williams grabbed them via you know an insane race in Hungary, and then whether we like it or not. The history bucks will say that George Russell finished second place at the 2021 Belgian Grand Prix. He, he only got half point. He only got nine points for it because it was a half point so race. Needed- but, it, but that was all they needed to pretty much cement eighth place in the constructors. And Alpha Romeo was like, poor Alpha. They're like, that, that fight is dead. It's DOA. It's dead on arrival. Um, like, pretty much all of Williams' points came from those two races, and we'll get to them briefly in a minute, but it pretty much ended any chance that Alpha Romeo had a finish in eighth. Um, well, I want to talk about Gio a little bit as well. I mean, RJ, you got a point in that yet? I yeah, mean, I was actually going to jump into this because this is one of the more fascinating uh, head-to-head battles. Uh, of this season because Antonio Giovinazzi out-qualified Kimi Raikkonen 13 assists when both drivers could set a representative time, but Raikkonen had 10 of their 13 points this season, finished yeah. ahead 10 times out of 18, and spent more laps ahead of Antonio Giovinazzi. It was really fascinating. It shows that mm. like Giovinazzi's speed is still there, and his racecraft has gotten better, but like Kimi Raikkonen's experience... As depreciated as he was in his last few seasons over at Alfa Romeo, there were still like flashes of the old Kimmy that were still there, and that was something that Gio just couldn't live with at times. I mean, the problem for Gio is always going to be the fact that you're not beating the guy who Ferrari already dropped uh, from their primary team to make room for Charles Leclerc. And what was that? Every year, uh, Kimmy beat him. So... It kind of leaves him in a dead-end spot. As much as yeah, I, it, I'd say the second half of this year, Geo, if Geo drove the way he did in the second half of this year, the last couple of years, he'd probably still be in the sport. Because yeah. he, he took a big step once he realized he didn't have a job anymore. Yeah, a, a, a part of me thinks that. A part of me also thinks if Valtteri Bottas hits the open market, Gio was always kind of toast almost no matter what he was going to do. Um, like Alpha sound like and the Sauber group in general looked like a team that was you know floating around the idea of money they were prepared to sell this team you know they were in heavy negotiations of Andretti regarding that um you know we talked earlier in the year about signing Guan Yu Zhao and the opportunities that come with that um it's a very unique marketing pull 
and then Bottas at the open market. Now, I know Bottas has been criticised at the very highest level, but if you're talking about sliding him on the bottom end of the field, you're not going to find a better driver on the open market than that that's available. Um, so I, I do feel a bit sorry for Gio in that regard. But well, well, something to keep in mind, Ray. Yeah. It wasn't it wasn't Bottas who's replacing Gio. He's replacing Raikkonen. That was yeah. already announced mm-hmm. earlier in the season. The yeah, driver that's, that's replacing Gio in this case is Guan Yu Zhou, who, by all accounts, is a very promising young driver. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that that was always going to be, I think, Gio swimming against the tide on that regard. It's like, especially when you've had three seasons and change now, and it's he's it, it, never taken that big leap forward that we have seen from some of the other guys who have graduated up from Formula 2 to this level by now. All right, and we'll talk about them, of course, later on in the show. But Gio was always kind of, I think, been one step behind those dudes, and that's always, I think, worked against him in the end. Um, but you know, with this team going forward, I mean, you're talking at Bottas and Zhao for next year. That's that's a pretty exciting lineup for a team that was ninth overall this year, no? It's it's pretty exciting, but. With Alfa Romeo, they've got to deliver a car that is more competitive. Uh, I think that's it's the, fair to say. It's the fundamental thing with uh, Salfa Romalber, as we call them affectionately. Uh, <laughs> the more money you give them, the worse they seem to perform. It's a very strange phenomenon in motorsport. Um, yeah. Where just since 2018, and let's remember the 2018 car was designed for a Honda power unit. And then a Ferrari got shoehorned back in at the last minute, and it was the best car they've made in the uh, the big car era by a, an order of magnitude. They can thank some even young with the uh, gas dude for that as well. Mm, yeah, even with the uh, the the funny 2019 Ferrari power unit, uh, the 2019 car wasn't particularly competitive either. So um, they have to deliver going into these new regulations. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and and there'll be pressure on them to do that because again they're going to have a lot of people from China watching next season most definitely with a big name in the second seat. And look, Valtteri Bottas is still a fine driver, and at yeah. that level, low pressure environment. We all joke about Valtteri. This is the perfect scenario for Valtteri to gain a, a, a reputational foothold, a low pressure scenario at the at the back end of the grid. I think could, could do him wonders. So I'm very curious to see how that goes in 2020. One of the more intriguing lineups, I think, for next year. There's not, there's not big, big changes up and down the paddock next year, but uh, that's one that certainly leaps off the page. Williams. <laughs> wow, Williams a lot is interesting. more interesting than the last couple of years, I'd say. Uh huh. Right. Because they they weren't dead in the water. They got points, not consistently. And they had to have the literal skies fall out of the heavens to score their biggest share of points of the season. But it was a genuine turnaround. There were still signs where they were still fighting way too hard to stay ahead of the Haases and no other uh, Well, Haas. I, I think yeah. that is more <laughs> a... I think that is more a testament to Mick Schumacher's quality as a driver yeah. than any slight on the Williams car because... Yeah. The car, it wasn't particularly good. I wouldn't call it good. Uh, yeah. This is the last Formula One car with a with a metal gearbox casing. That is gone for next year. It is mm-hmm. the end of an era. Um, should have ended a few years ago. 
But that's a strange it, end of an era to have. It's like yeah. Suzuki without a whole shot device. It's like, this is like way too yeah. goddamn late. Congratulations, <laughs> you caught up to seven years ago. But they were okay. <laughs> yeah. I like that Nicholas Latifi took a genuine step forward in his second season. Like, yes, George Russell was clearly putting in the lion's share of all the team's results. And we had had a qualifying form and point share and laps been ahead. But Latifi elevated his game as well. He He's had a couple of points team. finishes. He was genuinely more competitive than he was last season. And he comes into 2022 as the experienced hand within the team with Alex Albon coming into that second seat at Williams with... It's, it's kind of wild that he that Nicholas Latifi, who's been in the sport for two years, is the experienced hand uh, in that team. <laughs> How but, are we uh, gauging the yeah. pressure on Alex Albon for next season? Low pressure, mm, high pressure? He's in a Williams. <laughs> <laughs> Like, I, I like, guess like, to take him, that's like, low like, pressure then. Yeah. yeah like, <sighs> well, I can't get a read on Williams going into next year. I, I think it's a little funny this year that without Belgium happening, Latifi would have actually scored more of their points due to what happened in Hungary, which would have been yeah, the most George right. Russell Latifi way finished to score your Russell. first points. <laughs> Um, it's like the fu- it's, it's like it's like the funny story of Hungary where like Fernando Alonso was closing in on George Russell for tenth. He worked out it was George Russell. He was fighting for the last point. Alonso was like, "Oh no, <laughs> it's like, I'm taking the I'm, I'm taking a uh, point off the Williams." Oh, I forgot oh. about that. That was in the before time before George Russell finally got his first Williams points. But I think everybody wanted to. Yeah, that was uh, in in Austria. It was actually a pretty decent fight, which again, fight. says. Says a lot about uh, the quality of Russell, of course, is going to Mercedes next year and says a lot that how much better this Williams was than the last two, which is to yeah. say that the bar was so low it defied physical law and they were still a perennial backmarker team. The problem for Williams for me next year is that this team died. This team was dead. It was dead and buried and was repurchased. And the problem going into these new regulations is that that happened that change of hands when they were supposed to be working on the 2022 at the time 2021 car so the usual williams nailing a regulation set and jumping up the grid i really don't think that's on the cards this time just gonna ask about that because that was that was what they did in Mm. 2009 Mm. that was what they did in 2014 but it's not a sure thing for 2022 not at all. I I'd, I go as far as to say, if Williams, g- given their current situation where they're still kind of refinding their feet on, on mm. an operational level within the team, I think they should set fighting for points as a good target going into the new regulations. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because and I that's think if not they a, try another yeah. moonshot like they tried in twenty eighteen, they could end up tumbling backwards. Yeah. I would not disagree with that. I think if Williams can be in a position where they're generally competing for top 10 finishes most weekends, that's that's a success story. For that's them. a big step. And I could I could extend that same courtesy to Alfa Romeo and Haas, the two teams behind them, and potentially the next team on the list because, ooh boy, you want to talk about a team, not necessarily drivers, but as an organization on the whole that kind of... I'm not going to tip my hand and say that this is our pick for the floppy award, but 
Aston Martin Formula One team, uh, compared to where they were last season under a new guise, uh, did not do that well. Yes, Sebastian Vettel had a podium finish and finished second on the road in another race. Uh, we, yes, the, the scores were about even, but were they, were they the biggest disappointment in the field or were they the biggest disappointment in the field? They yes. Yeah. Yes, they um, friggin'. They were... Yes, they were. <laughs> even even relative uh, to like, look, we know what last year was. We know what that car really was beneath the pink paint. And they kind of jumped up the field a little more than they otherwise would have. Even mm-hmm. compared to like the Force India days, this was pretty rough. Yeah, because they were expected to solidly be third in the constructors heading into this to compu- They were expected to get more than just those two, well, kind of two podiums that Vettel we, we, scored. One of them we was thought taken going away. into this with that car. You know, it was a, it was a further amended version. This is the W10Z, uh, the mm. final iteration, and as a result of you know, at as a result of having a car that was more susceptible to these regulation changes this year and not really understanding it. Cause when you have someone else's car, usually that ends up being an issue trying to develop it because you don't understand mm. it and having changes behind the scene, technically and bringing in Vettel who was coming into a completely different team environment. Mm. This was a mess. Very much a building year, very much a rebuilding year for the team. I want to go over some uh, head-to-head stats. Vettel was ahead of Stroll in head-to-head qualifying 13-8, but Stroll finished ahead in races 10-7. Vettel Mm. had the higher share of points 48-34, but Stroll was ahead for more laps, 623-522. Is there an ironclad case to that Lance Stroll, who did not finish on the podium, and who who I've described as a driver who is good when he wants to be, is he a little bit more consistent in race trim than a four-time world champion coming into a new team? I think Might be. I think early I think early on in the season definitely because I think it took it took Seb and this is going to be a running theme with drivers moving teams this year. Uh-huh. It took Seb three or four races to kind of bed into this what is a fundamentally a very different car to uh, the red sled he drove last year. Yeah, once Seb bedded into the car a little bit, bed into the team a little bit, he was fine. Mm-hmm. Um, I can only really think of the opening round where he just had a a very foolish collision with Ocon and then uh, the spin in Zanfort. Other than that, he was, he was actively He's, pretty good. He had, he yeah. had the overtake title on the year, the only title that matters uh, around here. It doesn't matter general, because the stats are faulty. I mean, I'm sure Vettel would have won it anyway, if they didn't count lap one overtakes, which shouldn't count. But then <laughs> trademark, trademark Vettel lap one, having good starts and, can't really complain about either driver. Stroll Stroll was a little bit up and down, but it feels like they were so far off the pace certain weekends that it was just inconsequential. Yeah. I yeah. mean, in uh what was it? Qatar. That was it Qatar or Saudi Arabia. They were literally the second slowest team. Saudi Arabia. Ahead of the Hosses. Saudi yeah, Arabia, they were, they were the laughing stocks of the field. Yeah, it's it's the nature of having the seventh best car. Your par score is about thirteenth place. That's that's always going to be an uphill battle. And I mean, yeah, I think Seb definitely got better as the year went on. But Stroll is a solid driver. It's just I think when it comes to how we assess drivers 
overall, we like to circle the big outlier result more than anything else. So when you think of Aston Martin, you think of Vettel second in Baku more than Stroll being probably a little bit more consistent over the course of the year. I think some of that was just Vettel teething problems and getting used to a brand new setup. But I think as the year went on, I think he yeah. established himself as the when lead Stro a bit more. Stroll was more consistent, but when he had a bad day, he had a rough day. Like Hungary mm. particularly Ooh. comes to mind. Like that was, Hungary, that was particularly Hungary was, Hungary was one of those moments that people point to with Lance Stroll and say, why are you in Formula One? Um, we, both drivers, I think, had a couple oopsies. It's just, as far as the team side, the car was, it didn't have a lot of downforce. It was quite draggy, which mm -hmm. is the worst aero combination you can possibly have. Yeah. They had trouble overtaking people with Mercedes power. Mm -hmm. And operationally, like, the pit stops this year were awful. They had, like, six My or seven horrible pit stops from this team. It might have cost him a disqualified win in Hungary. Was that Vettel pit stop against Ocon head-to-head? -head yeah, but it would have just like, made uh, the disqualification hurt that much more. I have, no idea, what you, I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> and to that point, uh, a disqualification in Hungary, which was uh, not actually a, a intentional breach of regulations, but a, uh, a fuel tank problem, which robbed Seb of a very well-driven second place, where, yeah. again... Just couldn't make the pass around Hungary in a pretty strong pressure car. on him all time. Mm -hmm. We said at the time, yeah. like, like Sebastian Vettel's had a couple of rough years, but I don't think he's ever lost the speed. And I would like to think that, yeah, we've had a year of hubris uh, punishing Aston Martin for pink Mercedes and Daddy Stroll and what have you. I'd like to think that they will be better next year. It's going like to be interesting with this team next year because on paper they have everything. They have the staff. They're going to have the factory, but that's not really coming into play next year. And they have a four-time world driver's champion and a driver who I think is criminally underrated by people who don't like him because they don't want to like him, rather than disliking Stroll for actually being poor on track. I, I, I've always been the Lance Stroll liker of of F1 Twitter TM. I, I it, but He's fine. but but it but sometimes he does get on my nerves a bit. Not for being like you know having the personality of a piece of uh, of plain white bread, but because sometimes it's just like <laughs> you you have the talent to be better than this. Show it more often. Um, yeah. Alphatari. Uh, wow, what a season! Tale of two drivers. Six, Sixth in the mm. points. Um, Pierre Gasly put in a driver of the year caliber season. Yuki Tsunoda struggled like a 20-year-old rookie, being stuffed into the compartment of a Honda truck bed at Circuit of the <laughs> Americas, and then complaining that he was all wet. <laughs> oh, no. Uh, all of the head-to-head -head stats stat favored Gasly. Gasly was on the podium. He had his best season, better than the one where he won a race. And in between his first race in Bahrain and his last race in Abu Dhabi, where he almost swiped the podium, there were a lot of valleys in Yuki Tsunoda's season. Yeah. Um, Pierre Gasly is a driver of the year contender. Um, I agree. Were it not for a driver we're going to talk about late, much later on, um, I think he would be my driver of the year. He was sensational. This is not... Yeah. This is not the driver that was too busy looking at data sheets rather than feeling the car. Yeah. This is a whole different animal, and he was superb. 
this is the kind of driver that Red Bull is kind of like, we should bring this guy back. And this if is they're, the kind if of they're too, that if they're so too prideful to do that, yeah. When he stepped into the Red Bull in 2019, because he'd still be there. And it's a shame that he wasn't, but in AlphaTauri, he, he's kind of carved out a niche of Mr. Sixth Place, putting a car that probably isn't good enough for sixth in sixth and qualifying like every race for the second half of the year. <laughs> yeah, like his average qualifying position on the year was 6.28. It was exactly oh, six. phenomenal in the midfield. Like, he, he is in, like... I remember races like Zanvoort that stick out to me where it's like he was fourth going up against McLaren, Ferrari, and Alpine, big-name factory teams with big budgets, and, you know, Ferrari probably three times the budget before the cost cap came into play. Um, and on a good day, Gasly would, Gasly would run them over. Like, it wasn't even like he's won a narrow fight. He would... Bulldoze these bigger teams. Yeah, times in, in where he was legitimately he was the best of the non-big four. Yeah, right. in in Zanvoort, he was fourth in no man's land because look, he ain't living with the Mercedes and he ain't living with the Red Bulls. Um, mm. The days of Toro Rosso fighting with the main team are quite dead. Yeah, but mm. what more can you say about him? He was consistent. He was fast. He was superb wheel to wheel. He was great in qualifying. Um, most races, I think the AlphaTauri itself had a little bit of a tire munching problem. Most races, he mm. managed his tires very, very well. Mm-hmm. And tell you what, we'll talk about it a little more later in uh, the big boy team, but that 2021 Honda power unit was a mean some bitch. Cam, Cam yeah, still and... can't get over the pictures that came out in Autosport Magazine Japan. That, it's the, uh, the, the cylinder heads are shrink wrapped around the camshafts. It's mad. <laughs> I was not one of those people that was suggesting that Yuki Tsunoda was going to beat Gasly year one. I would never suggested that of a rookie who just got to the sport, but I did not expect him to struggle as much uh, as he did. I didn't think he was going to beat Gasly, but this was really, really rough. Um, Started off the year pretty well. Had good pace in Bahrain, had good pace in Imola, and then stacked it in the rain during the race while running in the points. You know what did him in? It was he had, mm. he had that excellent first race, and then Ross Braun jumped on an interview and said he's the most talented rookie we've seen in years. And I was like, oh no, they've just doomed him to fail. Oh, it took him until no. they got it the, took him the until they got the Alex Albon. They had to get Alex Albon in his corner to get his confidence back, which that's totally fine. That's legitimate. I, this was not a good year, but I like to think that better things are on the way because you don't fly up the ladder from Formula Four to Formula One. Uh, in in a span of three that's, years without being pretty damn talented. That's just it with Yuki, is that he has the speed. When he's on it, he is unbelievably fast. On mm. a couple of occasions this year, he was faster than Gasly, no question. Yeah. The problem is that uh, if he's a diamond in the rough, he's like, he's the rock from the, he's the cliff side from which you cut the rock from which you cut the diamond. He <laughs> needs to... He's got to chill. If he learns to chill, just run the race, I think Yuki's going to develop very well. I think he's going to be a great driver. This year just I, I was, wasn't very good. I was going to say, I think the biggest problem Sonoda had more than anything else was our own expectations of him. And that's not entirely on him. 
I think a lot of that is the fact that he has come into an incredibly talented, younger field that Formula One has inherited in the last half decade. And now we are expecting Sonoda to be on a Norris, Russell, rookie level off the bat. I think our, I think our level of expectation for drivers on Yuki's level has gone up in the last three or four I years. Think, well, I think I agree. I think the thing with Yuki is that if he didn't live up to that, fine, it's the first year rookie. He single-handedly cost AlphaTauri a, a position in the World Chan- World Constructors Championship yeah. with yeah, a couple no. it, of just it's... really, really rough performances over the year. Yeah, like, it's not like he's slow. It's he's not... making aggressive, like, he's reckless mistakes. Yeah. He, he's overdriving, at least for the first three quarters of the year, because I think in the f- final quarter of the year, he cleaned it up a lot. Yeah. And the results showed mm-hmm. he was much better. The first three quarters of the year, he was overdriving, ba- like, very badly. Yes. He was put... I, I think uh, in Baku was probably the biggest example of it. He went hell for leather, balls to the walls, lap one, Q1 in an Alpha Tauri and crashed the car. When you don't yeah, need to be doing seventh. that. You're in, a car, you're in a car that can feasibly reach Q3 if you just get through the first two sessions. Mm-mm. Yeah, I was gonna say like uh, it's a lot of I said a, a lot of it is just I think it, you know what it is. It's like he had a great start. The mistakes started creeping him after Imola, and then he's getting told off and criticized by people for crashing the car. And then probably to compensate for that, he's probably overdriving because he feels like he's got to prove himself. Where he's just got to mm-hmm. find his level and then go from there. Like you said, he he cleaned up a lot of his act in the second half of the season because I remember through Imola he had less points than George Russell did. Um, but he got a lot better towards the end of the year and was like, unable to put some 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 points together. Um, overall, like it, it kind of puts AlphaTauri in a weird spot because their two drivers were so different in terms of overall performance. Where's the baseline for this team? Is it near a Gasly's end or is it near Sonoda's end? Because they missed out against Alpine by thirteen points. It was a close run thing between them and. Is was it Gasly overdoing it compared to the car, or was it Yuki dragging them down a touch? I wonder. It's both. It's both. Pierre I, Gasly has come into his own, and Yuki uh, had a tough rookie season. I know it sounds like a cop out to say that it, both these things were true, I, but I, both these things were true. I, I I tend to feel the latter, and like I said, I think that Yuki in the final final quarter of the season, if he performed like that all year. AlphaTauri would have clubbed Alpine in the constructors, but he's a rookie and that happens. Um, What I need to see out of him next year, like going forward, this engine is now um, a, just scribble out the Honda, right? Red Bull Technologies on there. They've got a deeper partnership with the top team, which let's not forget, um, did pretty good this year. (laughs) And you've got Pierre Gasly, 10 out of 10 driver this year. Yeah. Most weekends, yeah. and no Yuki, shame in getting who has the speed. They, they, he, I need to see something out of Yuki next year. Where, where I'm looking at him, like you drive like the you did the last quarter this year, you'll be just fine. You're getting that. You're you're getting on that podium, and you might even be your country's first Formula One winner. There's no shame in losing Pierre Gasly like this head head. By the way, because mm-hmm. Pierre Gasly's fantastic. You just Phenomenal you just need driver. to bring your baseline up better. Um, right. Let's talk about LK Kaku. Translator's note, LK Kaku means plan. Alpine Formula 1 team. El plan. El plan. Esteban Ocon won the Hungarian Grand Prix and scored 
74 points. Fernando Alonso got back on the podium and scored 81 points. This was the most balanced team in terms of head-to-head stats. 9-9 races, 11-11 in qualifying. They did this without putting any upgrades in their power unit. Yeah, this was a 2020 power unit in the back of that car. Um, they started off the year pretty bad. No, no yeah, caps. Uh, they got some updates on the car, I think third race in, and they took a big step up towards the midfield. And that's kind of just where they sat. Sometimes they were in the points. Sometimes they weren't. Sometimes it was Ocon leading. Sometimes it was Alonzo. Oh, and that random time Esteban Ocon won a race. Yeah. One, like, I was going to say, like, outside of Ocon's race win in Hungary, it's like, if you ever wanted a complete baseline for the 2021 season in almost every way, it's Alpine. Dead level in the Constructors' Championship, their drivers were virtually identical in terms of performance. We couldn't split them on races or quality. Again, Alonso had, was, had a few more higher-ranking points finishes to separate them a little bit, but, like... It's 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 incredible just how evenly matched they are, and I want I want to give some a lot of credit to Esteban Ocon because I mentioned this in my top ten review of the year. Like if there was the NFL Comeback Player of the Year award in Formula One, it's almost definitely going to Esteban Ocon because Ocon last year looked like his career might be in jeopardy. He got absolutely obliterated by Daniel Ricciardo and I thought this might be it for him. Fernando's coming over like the Grim Reaper with the scythe ready to go. Like he's done with so many previous teammates before. You're up against the teammate. You're up against the guy who killed Stoffel Van Dorn's career in the crib. And (laughs) matched him blow for blow. Yeah, despite having a chassis issue early in the season, which resulted in a dip of form to match Alonso yeah. having a dip in form because he's, you know, reacclimating the sport after a couple of years out. Yeah, took and coming Alonso off of jaw bit. surgery after being yeah. clipped on his bicycle. Yep, in fact, just had surgery to uh, take yeah. those metal plates out of his jaw. A little bit of weight reduction going into 2022. Yeah. Get well soon, <laughs> Nando. Um, yeah, soon, man. yeah, like. What to say about Renault? Sorry, Alpine. Well, Renault-powered Alpine. <laughs> they were just really mid. Perfectly <laughs> mid all year. Perfectly mid. Always like ninth Alpine and 10th. Couldn't overtake worth a damn because of the power unit, but also because mm. their power unit was torquey, it means that they could get up off the corners and be very difficult to overtake themselves. But so that Alonso, no. like, go ahead, know. They did get a dub this year. Yeah, they did get a dub because they couldn't be overtaken by by Vettel's Aston Martin. (laughs) You You have to remind uh, me of this. I'm I'm willing to write off 2020 like a lot of corporations done and said, you know what, finally in year five, they finally uh, accomplished the goal of winning the race in year five. The five-year plan worked out after all, I guess. Oh, plan. In in year Um, six. (laughs) In your sense yep. of the five-year plan. You get a mulligan. <laughs> yes. yes, Esteban yeah. Ocon, thinking that I've I've saved my career, that I'm clearly on an upward slope, that I finally won a Grand Prix. Someday I'll catch my longtime personal rival Max Verstappen before he wins the O. Oh no. <laughs> oh yes, the uh, oh. <laughs> the other the other blue the other blue and red car on the grid. Oh yeah, yeah. Shame yeah, about that. Yeah, that, that. and I—I I mean, I'm just looking at Alpine. Like, 
You know? They got an all-new power unit coming for next year. They got two really high-quality drivers. Yeah. yeah. Year seven of El Plan. I, I, I don't think so. Believe but I do say. think that uh, this was a good first step for the rebranded team. This is a good mm-hmm. step um, for the team that they've got with both drivers locked down on long-term contracts. Yeah. Go do something with it. May yeah. culpa. I thought Fernando Alonso's comeback was just there to please the board. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. And then we got to see him share, uh, you know, later the position was given over to Sergio Perez, but Fernando Alonso becoming the minister of defense in Hungary to protect Ocon, <laughs> holding off a four second a lap faster Mercedes for like 10 laps. Like magnificent yeah. driving that was from Fernando. And they, all, and they all said Fernando Alonso was just looking out for himself. I realized that being an F being in the game this long and realizing this is probably his last dance has also kind of changed things and suppressed his ego. But you know, it's and you, he you gave know, us one know. of the finest memes of the year. Nando shook. Mm. <laughs> oh yeah, I was like, look, when you've ever heard Fernando Alonso, the guy we've all labeled as an ego maniac, come on the radio and say, "Tell Esteban to defend like a lion." I know the man's turned the corner. <laughs> I'm proud of him. I'm proud of him. He's 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 like I thought this could be disastrous. It's actually worked out really well for Alpine. They have a really solid base to work with going forward, and they got Esteban Ocon on a three-year deal. They've finally given the man the long-term stability he's always wanted, even if they butchered the academy to do it. Way to go, Alpine! Um, you know, <laughs> bad, 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 just bad, uh, just just feed him, just feed him to the bigs, Errol. Yeah, feed no, him to no. The bigs. <laughs> McLaren, McLaren Mercedes, um, the only team that had a one-two finish this season. Strange, isn't it? Lando mm. Norris was sixth. Daniel Ricciardo was eighth. Uh, Lando Norris had a pole, but didn't win a race. Ricciardo won a race, but uh, most of the head-to-head numbers do not flatter Daniel Ricciardo, who took a long, long time to acclimate to his new team. Uh, and they were controlling third place in the Constructors' Championship, until they weren't. It, it it was weird with McLaren. It was like off like Lando Norris was leading the charge. And I, I will say this the first two thirds of Lando's season was phenomenal. It was yes. off the scale how good he was. He it's like for him finishing outside of the top five was a bad day for the first half of the season. He was that good. If this, if if we were doing a top ten list and the season finished Somewhere around the summer break, Lando's probably the outright number one. The one-two happened. Ricardo won that. Lando Norris wouldn't finish in the top six again for the rest of the season. And it's it was after really leading trying, the next though. race with two laps to go. Until yeah. it wasn't. But as Not we'll far. find out later in this later in this season review, those final laps are the most important laps you'll ever see. It's the most yeah. important part of a Grand Prix. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, McLaren were weird. You know, we said it's it last good. year, Dre, McLaren are weird. They are weird. It's like, it's like they, they started they white hot. They were the clear... Car. Yeah, they, they, they started white hot. They were the clear number three team in the field. But then as the year went on, um, Ferrari got better and better. Their engine upgrades grades put them over the top of, of, of McLaren at the end of the year. They got a lot more consistent... Um, Daniel Ricciardo was a bit of an anchor when the other two Ferraris scored really well around them themselves. Ricciardo had to be basically as good as he could have been in that midfield fight 
to bring McLaren up the order. He kind of let him down in that. Like, Lando still held up his end of the deal. I wouldn't say it was all on McLaren because, like, Lando had two slow punches towards the end of the year, which did not help either. Um, but you also, on the other counter of that, you've got Sochi and you've got Brazil, that are both clumsy races by Lando. They're still, they're still absolutely room to improve for Lando Norris. But that's also, for me, a mark of how terrifyingly good he can be. <laughs> like, that there is still well, room Lando for Norris improvement. Norris is on. He is on. Yeah, he's like, one of the best drivers in Formula One. No hyperbole. He's not just yeah. the fa- the Zoomers' favorite uwu soft boy of the grid. He's a legitimately <laughs> talented Formula One driver uh, who has been. A, that is a I, I have of described a him as an uwu soft boy. Oh, Jesus fucking Christ! And look, um, we don't we don't need to handle Lando Norris with kid gloves because he's not a perfect driver. Nobody is, but you know he's no. And he's I don't think I don't even think that's necessary team. this year. Yeah, I think he 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 certainly was the anchor of McLaren because Daniel Ricciardo was. Uh, Daniel Ricciardo, um, before he won that race at Monza, we were talking about like potential for buying him out of his brand new contract, a three year deal. He got lapped at Monaco, a track where we know he is damn good at. Well, mm-hmm. track where he won at a Red, at a, a Red Bull and yeah. should have won multiple times. Uh, yeah, mm. like more than a few laps from the end of the race. Um, mm. He just couldn't... The, the McLaren is very weird amongst the cars on the grid. It's very... It requires very particular style to get the nose in, and that's something that Ricardo just could not adapt to. Yeah, And to that effect, I think in the second half of the year especially, it's like McLaren didn't understand their own car. They were swinging wildly up and down in the midfield, either from being the best team in the midfield to scraping scraping points. Because there were definitely flashes that like, hey, there's still points left on the table out of this car. We saw it when there's Daniel Ricciardo decided... They were fighting to... McLaren and... We're fighting McLaren. McLaren and... <laughs> They're Red Bull and Mercedes, Mercedes and Red Bull, yeah. But... At times during this year. And then other mm-hmm. times where they were fighting the Aston Martins and the Alpines. Daniel Ricardo dressing like a University of Texas Austin undergrad and finishing oh. fifth at uh at the United at the USGP. That was a good time. And the that there car was that he got to understand table. the most of this year. Dale it was better than that football three. team. Yeah. <laughs> Daniel Ricardo, he did it for Dale. This time next year though. Try doing it for McLaren. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I was going to ask as, as and I was going to ask King Simpson because King knows his American most well better than I do. Do you think part of the problem is that they could be spreading themselves a bit too thin? Because we know they, they're in IndyCar now. We know that they're going to be adding a third car in 2023. They're showing a keen interest in sports cars going forward. Are they losing a little bit of their focus as an overall brand with all this expanding talk? I mean, they haven't really expanded. They haven't started a sports car program. In in IndyCar, they bought an existing team. They mm. like, and the spec car. I think the bigger problem with McLaren is like it has been in the last, gee, uh, since the end of twenty twelve, start of twenty thirteen. The car is much much better than it was during the Tim Goss years, mm. but it feels like. I'm really worried that if they get 2022 wrong, they're not really going to recover because it feels like the car side of things is still a little bit up and down for McLaren. 
It's an interesting theory. It's an interesting theory. Because I, I, I look operationally, they were fantastic this year. Pit stops were great. Strategy was great. In most races, mm. their drivers are above reproach. Especially like the traits that Daniel Ricciardo did not like are going to be gone with these new cars. Yeah. Mm. It's up to the technical team to deliver because I think they have all the right pieces in place. And they've got that new wind tunnel coming. Mm. Well, a lot of investment, a lot of money coming in. Because remember, they did sell a third of their team off this, around this time last year. So there's a lot there's a lot to come from McLaren. But uh, a little bit of regression for them in the grand scheme of things. Which is weird to say about a team that had a breakout season from they one of their They won their first race in nine yeah. years. Yeah, yeah. That's a, that, no matter what, that is a, that is a phenomenal success. Oh, gotcha. Like, it, it's it's weird. It's like they had a win, they had multiple podiums, yet they still kind of went backwards at the same time. It's kind of strange. Just like McLaren weird. in general, really. Hey, so um, we talk about the Pronton horses. Yeah, let's talk about a team that, if this were probably any other organization in Formula One, we would be marveling that they tripled their points total from the last season um, and got on the podium <laughs> multiple times. But the problem is, this is the Dallas Cowboys, Los Angeles Lakers, Alabama football, Manchester United of Formula One. This is Scuderia Ferrari. Cam, we did not have to watch Driven, but oh boy, Ferrari came very close to winning a couple of these races. It just didn't. Yeah, this but, was one uh, of the more interesting. The problem is, things. RJ, yeah, is that they are Ferrari. Ferrari expects, Italy expects. And your expectations were not met. Um, they were a whole lot better than last year. No one can argue that. They basically threw out everything on the whole car behind the driver. <laughs> Brand new engine. Threw the gearbox away. Fixed the issue that, you know, Vettel was complaining about for like, I don't know, his entire time there. Yeah. And uh, actually made a car that had a good front end. Was okay in the corners. And they went winless because this is Ferrari. And despite getting pole with that wonderful, easy to rotate front end at Monaco. Two poles. We'll get to the other one later. Yeah. <laughs> despite getting pole with that race, Charles Leclerc crashed. And it broke the gearbox on one side. But Ferrari didn't bother to check the other side to see if it was okay or not. And it was not okay. And while I don't think they would have won Monaco either way, because I think Verstappen overcuts them anyway, because that was the play in Monaco, uh, Ferrari operationally are still just a bag of dicks. <laughs> they they are so bad strategically. Um, they th we can say the same thing about McLaren uh, as we can with Ferrari. They left a ton of points on the table with just poor strategy. And that's despite having, for my money, probably the best combination of the two drivers in the field charles and carlos were phenomenal this year they were really good and it leads into a really interesting topic because um when you look at the head-to-head -head numbers they had about their share points was about even carlos Sainz had more podiums but charles leclerc won the qualifying battle won the races ahead battle won the laps ahead battle but he only had one podium to show for it it's like Carlos Sainz Jr.'s peaks were much, much higher, but Leclerc, amazingly enough, for a driver who crashed out of a race that he was guaranteed to at least podium on before it mm. even got started, was the more consistent driver. 
Yeah, I was going to say, like, and credit to JB on our Discord server for pointing this out. He was the one that first alluded me to this stat, um, and that was the amount of points that Charles Leclerc scored in the four races that Carlos Sainz were on the podium this year. One. One point compared to Carlos Sainz 63. I mean, that's you're never going to win the driver matchup when your peaks are that much did. higher. I mean... One of them, one of those podiums was almost a direct consequence of Charles Leclerc not being able to take the start and then pushing everybody else up one spot. It's it, it, it kind of the, the conflated image of a despondent Charles hugging signs, congratulating them for second, was the metaphor for Ferrari because Ferrari were a lot better this year. They were genuinely one of the most improved teams on the season. But yet they still couldn't help but being Ferrari in some way, shape, or form. They had to Ferrari it up somewhere, and that's where it was. That's but- the problem with this team is that they were easily the most improved team this year. But the trough was so bad from last year that they're still nowhere near what they should be, given the amount of talent on the engineering side, mm-hmm. in the cars, and with the amount of money, which will be blunted a bit by the uh, cost cap, Flowing into this team, they actually right, lost uh, Philip Morris in International. The, yeah, they, mm. they, trust me, they've got. They're just going to stuff people into the uh, sailing program. Yeah, no sail more, GP. Uh, <laughs> I mean, well, oh American Cup, Prada, <laughs> <laughs> Luna Rosa, Prada, Pirelli, Ferrari. <laughs> well, that's Why not both? Uh, why not straddle the line of another split in motorsport? Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's not. Those aren't motors. Those aren't motors. <laughs> At the same token, Carlos Sainz Jr. had a phenomenal season in his own right. He proved that he's more than just the he's more than just Spanish. He's Felipe created a Massa. bit of a problem. He's created a problem in that team because uh, the seat warmer has taken over the house. Yeah, he outpointed the guy on a five-year contract. Yeah, yeah, like. But again, I don't think this season was quite as good as some people are hated it. I've said it on on. Uh, if you read my piece, he didn't read really about it. I, I I I called it the Hulk. I called it the Hulkenberg paradox, where when everybody right. thinks you're underrated, chances are you're not underrated. But um, it's you know what it was. It, what was it? It was a repeat of 2019. Yeah, Vettel outraced. Other than qualifying, pretty much completely beat Charles in every stat, but Charles outpointed him. Yeah, it's why the the point table sometimes can lie to you. It's 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 not, it shouldn't be the be all and end all of how to assess somebody's season. But they're already sitting down. Carlos signs allegedly for a contract extension in this offseason, and they should like, because he's uh, earned that. Absolutely, he's done more he's, than enough. He's done more than enough. Like Ferrari have two effective drivers that if they could build a car that's worth a damn, both drivers could compete for a championship. And that's just it. They stopped developing this car in January. I think they got a couple minor pieces on the car, but that was about it. They upgraded their engine in the middle of this year with what they intend to be the 2022 hybrid system. And then we'll upgrade the rest of it later on down the line uh, going into next year. Everything, including the title fight we got this year, should point to Ferrari being absolute favorites for going into the new regulations. And yet, I can't get there on you. I yeah, can't I like, get there with you. I was, I was well, like, like, like go on, King. <laughs> yeah, the thing is, it's it's a race. You're not going to be able to get there. You have to see what the other teams bring to the table in 2022. But they threw, uh, 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 like, that's it. Like, Red Bull and Mercedes put 
Mercedes more on the engine side, less the car. Ferrari put everything into next year, and I still, like, on paper, they should be odds-on favorite. I can't get yeah. there. I don't dare say it, because I know this is Ferrari. Yeah, yeah just because like, you develop something for next year doesn't mean the thing you're developing is good. Exactly. And look, BMW, e- even, BMW Sauber. It's like, Ash Leno in 2009. It's like, look, oh. you could say this every oh. time about, like, Ferrari on paper have got every tool in the book to win a championship easily. Would you ever actually put money on it? No, not in not, a million, not in a million years, years, because it's Ferrari, and they will find a way to Ferrari it up every single time. Like, it's it's it's, it's exactly what Ferrari does. It's why you can never back them, because it's like you're waiting for the rug to be pulled out underneath you, and there's, like, the alligator pit underneath you. It, it happens every time. But they're yeah, a damn good team. It's even worse now, because <sighs> Benotto is also saying, oh, we've got a ton of innovation coming for next year. It's like, oh, are no. you going to innovate <laughs> backwards? Don't oh, say no. those things. We know better with you. King, I just need the point that I, I can feel that Dre and Cam are much happier now that they aren't partially tethering their emotional investment in Formula One into Ferrari now that Seb's Fuck left. no. <laughs> Fuck that team. <laughs> I, I, I have no idea what you're talking about. I'm far happier as a human being without this pain in my existence. Um, <laughs> also, they took that man's I, hair. They took that man's hair away. You know, that's the comeback of the year. It's not Esteban Ocon. It's Sebastian Vettel's hairline. We didn't talk about it with Aston Martin. (laughs) The best comeback. That cheap sub is working for him. Also, I just want to do a time check because it is 4.42. And Cam, I know you said you had a a, We'll keep uh, rolling. uh, If I I need to step away, I will. Okay. All right. So we're in the top two. We're into uh, big aubergine poor territory. Uh, do we want to go Mercedes or Red Bull first? Ooh. Let's let's Red- no, let's go Mercedes, because who cares about the constructors, am I right? Uh, <laughs> Lewis Hamilton, runner-up in the championship, uh, nine wins and five pulls. Valtteri Bottas, a win his final season with Mercedes, four pulls, 226 points. They won the constructors' championship. So near, so far. Where did Lewis Hamilton lose this chance at a championship? Feel like we could pick half a dozen points. Um, <laughs> oh, we're, we're gonna uh, die! We're gonna die! It's been nice knowing you, everybody. Uh, good night. Um, <laughs> if you know, if I have to pick one, be real honest with you, I feel like Monza could very well have been. Because I, I, think, like I think Merck's had the stronger car that weekend compared to Red Bull, and they then had, Hamilton. They had half a. They had over half a second on Red Bull's head around mm-hmm. Monza. Yeah, yeah. Look, I, I, I'm going to be completely honest here. Like, this is all nitpicking. We're talking about a man who had a 387 point season and nine wins. That yeah. wins you 95 percent of pretty much every F1 title on paper ever. Like, yeah. but like. He skated on thin ice a lot of the times this season. Imola, he lost concentration. The red flag bailed him out. Silverstone, he put Verstappen in the fence. The penalty ultimately didn't matter because the red flag that he was ultimately responsible for allowed him to fix the car and get it back out there on track. He 
was outqualified by a Williams in Belgium that cost him what would have been a win. Not that we knew it at the time when he had a he had a chance. It would have been a half point win, but every point matters in these title fights. Yeah, because again, we went into the last race tied and he lost by a position. He would have won the championship. No, it was it was P it was it was second place. It did not matter in the end. But it's just he put he he dropped a goose egg when it should have been an easy the easiest twenty five points of his life. He played whack a mole with the steering wheel, something that we memed Romain Grosjean into the dirt over in twenty eighteen. Oh yeah, and dropped a goose egg on a day where, through no fault of his own, his championship rival also dropped a goose egg while he was going to bring home twenty five points. Underrated Monaco. Monaco was not a good weekend by his standards, but you no, know that's again net picking. He still came away with a seventh I, place. I don't. I'm not going to hold that fully against Lewis because the Mercedes had so many tire issues there. Yeah, but not a good weekend for them. I think that's that kind of brings us to our next point. The W12, an interesting little car because uh, it was either so completely dominant you would never know that it was different from the W11. Or randomly, like incapable of fighting for wins. It was wild. It was. It was like you know what it was. It was. We saw them in testing. They spun out two or three times in testing. We thought, oh, this team might have a serious problem. A certain someone picked the other team to win the championship, and then Hamilton wins three you. of the first four. And they almost felt like they just gotten over it, even though that they kind of hadn't. But we kind of thought they might have done because. Well, Hamilton is that is Ham- is Hamilton's that good, weird. and then on top of that, the reputation of Mercedes precedes them. Where you think, well, they've won seven championships, they'll probably have just figured it out, or figured out a workaround, and they'll just come back and they'll lay waste to the field like pillars of salt. And that just didn't happen this year. And then was- Red Bull rolled into the summer months and beat the brakes off of them for near enough six races in a row. Mm. But two important things happened. At Silverstone. One, Lewis Hamilton pitched his title rival into a barrier at 50 times the force of Earth's gravity and pulled home 25 points. But something yeah. else happened. Pirelli changed the rear tires. And the whole thing about the rear diffuser sealing, which changed with this year's regulations and hurt the low-rate cars, specifically around the brake duct area, suddenly the tires weren't flexing as much. And from Silverstone onwards... Mercedes either had the equal fastest car, a half a step behind Red Bull, or faster. In the final quarter of the year, when they turned their engines up to nuclear mode and were killing (laughs) engines within three races, they were clearly the faster car right at the very end. Absolutely. And through dumb luck, engine failure, Michael Massey playing God, it just didn't work for them. Yeah, but they won the constructors. That that no matters, right? No one cares <laughs> other than the accountants. It's it's it's, it's it like Jaca- everyone at the team who gets the big fat bonus. It, it, it's <laughs> it's like Ducati and MotoGP. Stop trying to make the manufacturers tie to the thing. We know it's not a thing. Um, you know, it's it's the exact same principle here. And yeah, we we didn't find out about that. Apparently, we didn't know they'd won the constructors for like four whole days afterwards on social media. Um, because uh, they were too busy um trying to delete videos of them actually celebrating said constructors title. Toto Wolf <laughs> absolutely um, anyway. lost <clears throat> in the sauce. Yes. And then um, uh, shit faced. <laughs> we we have to get to the other side of the garage. 
the not Lewis Ham- you know, you would never know it, but another driver actually does drive for Mercedes Benz in Formula One. Valtteri Oof. Bottas. He held up I can't get a read on it. <laughs> I can't get a read on him this year. Te- yeah. Technically, in his key fight with Perez, he held up his end of the deal. <laughs> it was like, Lewis, but where you at? <laughs> in the final race, due to an engine failure, where Bottas was the guinea pig for all those engines, they were finding out don't believe what Toto tells you. They were finding out exactly how far they could push that engine to give Lewis a fighting chance. Yeah. Baltas actually had an engine that blew up before it actually, like they turned it on and it broke. Um, But because we never heard about it until <laughs> after the season, we never heard about it until after the season because it never hit the track. Therefore it never actually went into his pool of engines, which is God. wild. <laughs> simply, okay, guys, time to turn on the ignition. Oh no! Okay, why does James was... Vowles? Why does James Vowles have piston all over him? Okay. King, um, this was the year that uh, Terry Botas entered the lexicon as a nickname uh, for a driver who, at times, looked like he knew he was checked out. He knew he was done at Mercedes at the end of the season. You think of. Baku as he leisurely strolled his way out of the points. You think of Hungary where he where he decided to reset the Wii Sports bowling world record. Uh, oh my the god. Start. Hungary was so bad. Hungary was so bad. If you didn't know better, it wasn't wet, you wonder like, did he just get did he just get the push him out order from Dr. Wolfgang Ulrich? It was that bad. <laughs> what an um, incredible turn. But at the same time. When Valtteri was on, he got a win this year, got a dominant win in Turkey. Yeah. And won the number two driver fight. I can't get a read on him. Yeah. I, I think that's the way he wanted it. <laughs> yeah, it's like, it's like, we're, we're going to leave the ungovernable. Bot- <laughs> it's like we're leaving the Bottas era more confused than when it started for a man who had one win in the last two years of his time at Mercedes. And yet... He got enough points to bring home the Constructors' title in his key matchup against Perez because we all know the two at the front were way, way better than the two behind him. It was almost like they were in two different series. That, that's what defined, <laughs> I think, the top two teams is that both number one drivers were comically ahead of their number two counterparts. Yeah. yeah. Normally, normally Valtteri Bottas is a reasonable match for Lewis in qualifying. Not this year. He got clubbed. <laughs> No, no, no. He got he got, he got he got battered. There is no other way of describing. It. He was beaten seventeen five in qualifying this year. That's a beating. Um, there is no getting around that. And uh, it was even worse if you Sergio Perez. More on him in a minute. But uh, yeah, it's uh, it's. I I I think Merck's had opportunities to win to win both titles, and I think Hamilton was not quite his superhuman self. And that's not to say he was bad. Do not send me angry emails. Uh, he was, I think that is the thing about good. Lewis this year, is that by the time it feels like he went fully engaged, you know, eyes on the prize for the title, he had left too many doors open. Because if he doesn't leave that, if he doesn't leave those points on the table in just Baku alone, where it's not even a close title fight. Like Max has to have him crash out of the final race for him to have a realistic chance. Right. Right. And we're nitpicking a driver who still has a hundred wins, a record tying seven championships, um, is still formula one's foremost advocate for social progress and is by far the biggest. 
yeah. we're nitpicking him because we expect him to be just this unstoppable force. Yeah. Yeah. We, we, we're nitpicking him because we have to nitpick him. Yeah, we have to nitpick him because we have to because he's that goddamn good. He's yeah. arguably the greatest driver that's ever walked this earth. Like, he was only brilliant and not otherworldly. It's not as big a criticism as you think it is, Internet. I promise. Red Bull. <laughs> the, the, uh, the driver. First Red Bull of all, Honda, I should say. Uh, Dre, um, do you have my apology in Silk? Um, it, it's, um, it's, it, it's, it's in the mail. Hermes sent it over. You'll probably get it sometime next year. I got um, 30 bucks of Starbucks gift cards for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't want to talk I, about I, Starbucks I, I, gift cards. I, I have a story to tell y'all once we're back in the Discord. I was like... <laughs> I, I was like... <laughs> I, I, Andre Herman, Edgar Harrison, would like to sincerely apologize to Cam Buckley for Herman all the Edgar? Admiral Akbar jokes I sent him over the course of this season, thinking he got this wrong. He was right. He got me. But, um, that's that's only. I'd fair. like to thank everyone um, who made this moment possible. I'd like to thank uh, all of my podcast co-hosts for doubting me. I'd like to thank Michael Massey for being god awful at his job. Um, <laughs> I'd like to thank all of the engineers in Milton Keynes and Sakura for making this possible. I'd like to thank your mom, your dad, the academy. Like anyway, like you'd like to the thank academy, God. Um, yeah, yeah, Nigel. yeah. <laughs> that, that is my mom, actually. Yeah. <laughs> um, so Matt Verstappen's only blemishes were. Happy holidays, everyone! Thank you. Happy holidays. So the only blemishes on Matt Verstappen's season were a blown tire at Baku, getting pitched in the end of the tires at Silverstone, having a chunk of his car ripped out at Budapest, and um, getting mounted in Monza. Other no, than that, doing he the mounting, actually. first, yeah, no, no, first he was on top. or second, 18 out of 22 races. 10 wins. Uh, Phenomenal season. What? I don't even know. What? I, 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 I don't, I don't think know, people man. have realized how unfathomable that is. 18 top two finishes out of 22 rounds. That's otherworldly. <laughs> That's unreal. <laughs> like, and the four that he didn't, there were mitigated circumstances on all four of them. Like, he 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 did not have one catastrophic weekend that was ultimately his fault. That's his, that's his worst in, mistake that's all of. year. His worst mistake all year. I'd say his one significant mistake, because I think Monza, Monza's a 50-50. Hey, you want to crash? Fuck yeah. Boom. Both out of the race. Uh, rule, 30, rule 34, no exceptions. Nose down, gearbox up. His biggest mistake of the year was on a lap that was so completely over the limit in every single corner and every traction zone that it was kind of inevitable that he was going to crash. But up to that point... Yeah. Everyone just kind of sat there in awe. Fernando Alonso gave us, as the aforementioned potential meme of the year, <laughs> when he hit that wall. He was unreal. Uh, this, look, I, I'll be the first person to admit, I never fully bought into the Max Verstappen hype train when he first got here to Formula 1. I thought, what's everybody going mad about this 15-year-old kid for? He's just come out of a cart. He was he was decent in European Formula 3. He wasn't, like, 
breaking the field over his knee good. I saw Eddie Jordan talk about how he was going to be a future world champion after like two races. And I was like, really? This kid? Um, and everything they said turned out to be true. Like, this kid is a I, monster. I couldn't, even, <laughs> I couldn't even get there up to like 2019. Yeah. Because the speed was there from day one. The speed was there from his first practice session in a mm. 2014 Toro Rosso. Yeah. But he was way over the line every, all the time. He was full send always in his own words. Mm -hmm. And that got him into more trouble than it got him into success. Mm. The occasional win here and there, but typically yeah. didn't have the car to bring it home. Mm -hmm. But damn. Just damn. Yeah. We can Just realistically point to 50, 50 points lost through absolutely no fault of his own. The tire in Baku and Silverstone... Lewis missed the corner by two meters and plowed into someone who gave him ample racing room. Mm -hmm. And at least we don't really know how Hungary would have played out just because it was so fucking crazy. But mm. at least a podium, you have to think in uh, on paper. You'd say so. Yeah. On paper, probably second place. Probably I don't think he had the pace to fight the Mercedes that day. And the end of the Monza, Russian Grand Prix was so important yeah. because out of nowhere he surges to second and that's one of the biggest results of the season. And that was Red him. Bull nailing the strategy, you know, the two people who finished first and second that day, Lewis and Max, they both got more or less ordered to come in by their teams. They both got on the right tire and the driver who the team let him make the call in Lando Norris was the one who ended up, you know, crashing mm -hmm. out of that lead and that potential first win. I want to springboard Max off was... of that mm -hmm. to, Go ahead. Go to also right. make the point that, like, I'll admit it, I've been harsh on Christian Horner as a team principal. I thought he was kind of coasting off his reputation. I thought he was coasting off the fact that, you know, he's been the only guy at Red Bull and that if he wasn't embedded in the team for day one, they would he would have been replaced if he was running, like, say, a Ferrari McLaren the way he was the last few seasons. Sure. But he's navigated another championship successfully. Full credit to him. Yeah, I mean, my thing with Christian is for, for all the for all the criticism he gets, and he loves it, and he plays into it, and I think that's he why he makes it. he yeah. revels in it, and that's why he does it so often. By all accounts, within the team, they love that dude, and yeah. he just got his contract extended to twenty twenty six. Well yeah. earned. He's there to. He's stay. earned it. Mm. You toppled Rebel. the um, you toppled the monster. You took Mercedes' first title away in eight years. That. Given what we know, there's arguably the greatest reign of terror this sport's ever seen. That's an automatic extension. Like people, you, you yeah. can say whatever you want about how much you like him or how much he's the he's the, the panto villain most of the time. The man did a damn good job this year. He finally yeah. brought in the number two driver to get in the fourth, get in that top four more consistently. It gave them a real good fight at the constructors' title as well. They came a little bit short on the day. Verstappen was phenomenal. That's the, that was their star pilot. That was the guy they've sacrificed a lot of people's careers, made a lot oh, of very yeah. difficult decisions on. They plowed everything into making this Verstappen's team, and it worked. There is no arguing about this now. The plan worked. L plan worked, I guess you could say. Uh, Machiavelli yeah. was right. What's, what's L plan in, uh, what's L plan in Dutch? Uh, I mean, probably L plan. the biggest thing plan. for me <laughs> with, with Max, <laughs> the biggest thing for me with Max is that on days where, you know, the second half of the year, 
I think they had two races where they were definitively quicker, Mexico and Zandvoort. Yeah. Every other race, there was very little in it one way or the other. Yeah. And Max just, he just didn't give Lewis any room to breathe. Yeah. There was no was weaknesses. There was no opening in it. And I hate to think that, I, I hate to say it, but I think the way Max raced Lewis, which was well over the line on more than a few occasions mm. in the final quarter of the year, was a direct result of the fact that Lewis blew him up in Silverstone. Yeah. And These then are two another Mercedes. Drivers who were not willing to give each other any quarter. They haven't yeah. been yeah. for a while. They, 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 uh, they requested no quarter and gave none. Yeah, that's fine. And powering the Red Bull. That Honda. Damn. You deliver the goods right as you pack your bags. Of course. (laughs) They threw this whole power unit in the trash and started new for this year. Designed a new one in six months. I've seen pictures of it. It's one of the most... It's like jewelry. It's one (laughs) of the most phenomenally packaged pieces of equipment in motorsport I think I've seen since the 2014 Mercedes broke cover. And... It was powerful. It was reliable. They would have gone through the year on the the pre-required three engines were it not for losing an engine in the silver the Silverstone crash, which cracked that block. It was fuel efficient. All four cars that it ran in, it more or less ran like a clock. And to top it all off, in the final moments of the season, in the final counterattack by Lewis Hamilton, Lewis got into the slipstream of Max, and had he got to turn nine ahead, could have perezed his way home. But as he pulled out of the slipstream of the Red Bull Honda, he didn't have enough to pass it. Couldn't do it. The Mercedes... But it mattered most. <laughs> the Mercedes, for once in this era, just didn't have the guts in a straight line against another car that was totally legal, because we know about uh, the 2019 Ferrari. Um... Why'd you leave? What the, just, what the hell's wrong Honda, with you people? Honda, Honda and F1 is <laughs> it's it's a it's a short term, no strings attached. You know, Formula One and Honda are friends who hook up on the regular, but aren't in a long term committed relationship. And that's the way it's been historically, and that's probably the way it would would continue to be if they ever came back. Uh, You've which got I don't three know examples: ninety two. Yeah. 92, the end of uh, the the start of 09, because we know what the brawn really was underneath that uh, mm-hmm. share choose yellow and white. And now this. Three times where they bow out as probably the best at what they do. Uh, Can we send some help Mark Marquez's way, please? Thanks. Oh, uh, no, that, that's coming. And... um. Good news on him today, of course. Uh, he's yes. healing up pretty well. Great to hear. The rest of MotoGP punching air right now. And now, <laughs> um, the other side of the garage. Yeah, I want to talk about Sergio Perez because he did win a race. That's something that Albon and Gasly couldn't do before him. Uh, there were He was consistently able to get into the top four and compete for podiums off the drop. But there were still... Moments of inconsistency here, there, and everywhere. So, have Red Bull figured out their number two driver dilemma? Or is still is Sergio Perez coming into 2022 on a prove-it deal? 
I I don't envy his situation because he was on a one year deal to start off with this year. Like it was it was do well or you're out of here at the end of the year and we'll we'll look for someone else. And some will call it ruthless, some will call it harsh, but I think effect I think by the time we were all said and done, I think it works out all right in the end. Yeah. Like I I I think there were some early teething problems. I think he was very sloppy in Imola. For example, and um, oh, and, yeah. and Silverstone was he, he never recovered from the crash in the sprint, which didn't help either. He had his he had his clumsy moments, and you know Belgium. Belgium oh, was the only driver to lose position in a race that lasted two laps under the safety car. Like that was <laughs> that was the floor for Sergio Perez, but it was he won in Baku. Yeah. With, with with damaged hydraulics, it was it was a car that was they were considering retiring it earlier on in that race, and he still got the win. And he probably would have finished the season at the end with five podiums in the final seven if it wasn't for being collected in Saudi Arabia and then his oil pressure problem at Abu Dhabi, which put him out of the race with about five laps to go. Um, he was running third as as that safety car came out. Um, so he was finishing the year a lot stronger, like where where they need him to be. I don't think anybody brought him in expected him to beat Lewis Hamilton. That like, that was that's almost an unrealistic expectation at this point. But given what they had before with Gasly, who didn't work out, they had Albon for a year and a half, and that didn't work out at all either. They've got something here. They've got something they can build on, and that right now is enough. I know that they probably, they would, I'm sure they would have loved to have won the Constructors as well. I know no one really cares about the Constructors, but you know, it still looks nice. I, on, I know you care, King. I know that's your thing. I know it's where the prize money is. I know that it's important and it should be respected and you know, like drivers come and go, but manufacturers are often around for a lot longer and it would be great, but they want to win that too, I'm sure. I, I know they would. I like, I, I, I know Toto got shit-faced anyway. I'd have loved to have seen the videos if they weren't. But, um... Look, they, they have enough here to go after both, definitely. And, you know, George Russell is going to be a huge wild card at Mercedes yeah. next year. Oh, and that, yeah. could be the, that could be the opportunity for Red Bull to maybe take both titles next year. We don't know how good George Russell is going to stack up against Lewis Hamilton next year. That's the big... Probably the biggest driver-related question mark going into 2022. So yeah, with all with all that in mind, we, yeah, well, yeah, yeah. You know, God I was going to say like George. For me, George should not be put under any undue pressure to beat Lewis Hamilton his first year. I know that's wishful thinking for the people who have Hamilton fatigue, <laughs> but if George Russell just w helps Mercedes wins the constructors' championship, he's done his job. And on the same token, Sergio Perez, if he wins the constructors' championship. He justifies Red Bull's decision to take a gamble of somebody outside of their own program for change. Mm. Yeah, and that's that. That should be the aim. Like they, 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 like, they, they, like Perez had a, a win in 190 points. That's not a bad season by by any measure, given what's come before at Red Bull. They've clearly that's clearly a big improvement over what they've had before. And now they've got a, they've, they've now got arguably the best driver in the world in one seat. And they have a perennial top five, top six guy in the other that, you know, maybe hasn't silenced every doubter regarding this move, but has certainly not disgraced himself. 
um, by any stretch, and he's earned himself another year, and they can build on that, and they can see what Perez can do with another year under his belt and a brand new set of regulations to play with, and that's going to be fascinating to see how he's. I want to be hopeful Russell. for the future. I, I want to be hopeful for the future because COVID has reached endemic status, but I want to believe that next season, twenty twenty two, will be as good as the Formula One rules makers have hyped it up to be. <laughs> King, how optimistic are you? Because you know these rules better than I do. <laughs> oh no, anything's possible. <laughs> anything's possible. Uh, Kevin Garnett says anything's possible. That's good enough for me. Um, yeah. we, 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 we live in hope. We, we live in hope. And uh, Kevin Garnett is also a big fan of Honey Nut Cheerios. But that's besides the point. <laughs> Man, Leo, let's get the sit down while Cam's not here. <laughs> yeah. uh, no, it's... I think it's time to end, but you know, like, if if there is you know one final note about this season, it is I want to say it is a damn shame that it got as toxic as it did towards the end because it certainly that and of course Michael Massey's decision in Abu Dhabi. I'm not saying some of the anger wasn't complete, wasn't entirely unjustified, but it's a shame because this was a by F1 standards, this was a phenomenal season. Like we had. The two best drivers in the world go into the final race of a 22-race season tied. That in itself is unbelievable. And it's the second time that's ever happened in F1 history. In any season, as we know, as we know F1 in 70 years. You know, they, were, they went into the last race tied. They both beat the crap out of each other on the track. Sometimes literally. You know, we had a fantastic and fascinating midfield fight. And the midfield guys got their moments too. You know, we, we had the McLaren win, their first win in almost a decade. Ferrari were back to something, you know, they, they, they can build off of, you know, we had some surprises like Vettel on the podium for Aston Martin. Pierre Gasly was brilliant, you know. Um, there was a lot to love about them. We had some fantastic races in here as well. Like Bahrain was brilliant. Like Hungary was... The most one of the most chaotic races I can ever remember, with a one-car standing restart, which will go down in, in meme folklore forever. Um, you know, we had the most hectic end to a season ever that finished in the second week of December. It's been a wild time, but uh, let's all chill, have some dip, maybe not log onto our keyboards quite so much, rest up a little bit, and. Uh, Hopefully 2022 continues to trend because uh, this year was a lot. It was a lot. And uh, hopefully brighter times are ahead for us all. Oh, boy. And, and, br and breathe, everybody. <laughs> uh, yeah, but uh, we'll be back next week for a special. We might even get King of a Suit again. Who knows? Uh, <laughs> for the Motorsport 101 Awards. They are back. They're going to be fun. We'll be looking at the best and the worst across Motorsport in 2021. And uh, we'll break it all down here um, as well. So that's going to be fun. Tune in for that one. Also, I'd like to say on behalf of everybody on the show, hope you've had a lovely, wonderful holiday season and a happy new year for 2022. Um, all the best. Stay safe out there, of course. And uh, yeah, a Merry Christmas to all, to one and all. Thanks for listening for us through 2021. It's been a hard year, but it's been a good year in many ways, as well as juggling a lot of the bad. But hey, that's life for you. 
Places you can find us one more time. We're on YouTube.com forward slash Motorsport 101. We're on Facebook.com forward slash Motorsport 101. We're on Twitter, Motorsport underscore 101. Our personal handles are on the screen at Harris101HD, at Ryan Eric King, at RJ O'Connell, at CBuckley917. We're on Instagram, at Motorsport 101 Pod. You can check us out on there. Uh, we're on Patreon, Patreon.com forward slash Motorsport 101. If you want to back us financially on there. And you can find all of those details on our website, Motorsport101.com. Check that out if you haven't already. We'll be back for the Motorsport 101 Awards. Merry Christmas from everyone here, and I've been Dre Harrison, they've been Ryan King, RJ O'Connell, and rushing off to the Apple Store was Cam Buckley. <laughs> <He's>, <laughs> there he is. Um, until then, I've been Dre Harrison. Thank you very much for watching, and uh, yeah, sayonara. Here y'all. All I'm saying is, uh, thank God. Be- spirit. <laughs> Now that we're done with all this, who wants to talk about fireworks safety?